currently the federal estate tax exemption per person is approximately $13 million rounded up. You that could be mistaken that. for money. That could be. You double that when it comes to a married person. However, on December 31st, 2025, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will expire. And the exemption is scheduled to revert to 5.6 million adjusted for inflation. So if we take a rough number for ease of simplicity, 7 million exemption per person based on current inflation levels, you have a window where you're going to drop tremendously and the government is going to find many people much wealthier than they thought they were two years earlier. Welcome to the Mortgages Made Easy podcast. Um, we're joined today by my friend, Michael Marone. Michael is of counsel at the law firm of Connell Foley. He is a specialist in trust and estates and the planning that goes into um, life events. Um, Michael, how did you get into trust and estates? So I've been doing this for 27 years. Um, and I've always had an interest in tax. Uh, I went to Seton Hall for my law school, and uh, I spoke to one of my favorite professors there, and she said, you know, if you really want to do this type of work, you really need to go one more level up and get your master's in tax. So um, as I started working in the trust and estates field, I decided to be a glutton for pain and travel into the city every night for evening classes, and I eventually got my master's in tax from NYU. Um, and I think it's it's a process that was really driven by my passion for, you know, helping families, helping business owners minimize their tax exposure, keeping more money for the family rather than Uncle Sam and the various government and state agencies that want a piece of the pie. So it was, uh, I wouldn't call it altruistic per se, but it was really driven by a passion of seeing how hard my family worked. You know, my father was an entrepreneur um, and how much he was, was really going to, you know, uh, off the top to government uh, coffers rather than to the family and to the employees and et cetera. So mm -hmm. I started really focusing on tax. And then I sort of went into the trust and estates area because I really enjoyed working with families. I really enjoyed giving them the peace of mind of knowing, you know, should something happen to me, if I become incapacitated, if I die, you know, I work with the right people, my family will be taken care of. I have the right documents. Mm -hmm. I have the right planning. So now I can just go and enjoy my life and not worry about this stuff. Got it. And so, um, you know, most people, when they think trust in estates, they think wills. But I bet it goes well beyond that. So how about explaining that a little bit? It's true. I mean, there's various levels of estate planning. And oftentimes people conflate estate planning with estate tax planning, which causes a lot of confusion. So everyone needs what I call estate planning. And that's a combination of having a conversation with a trust and estates attorney who can help evaluate your family situation, look at your balance sheet, understand your goals, objectives, and really design. The design and the architecture are really the key to a successful estate plan. And design what type of documents you need, how do you wanna protect your family, 
your spouse, minimize the taxes, protect your children's inheritance from divorce and creditors. You know, that's a really holistic conversation that's derived at by looking at the big picture, collaborating mm -hmm. with a financial planner, collaborating with the accountant, collaborating with the insurance professional. So that is sort of how you start the process. And the drafting of documents is really a byproduct of that process. After you design, you come up with the architecture and you talk to clients. Um, it's really a very holistic process and you want to look at everything from tax returns and income tax exposure. Anyone who says, I just want you to draft XYZ will is sort of missing the bigger picture of the importance of planning, not just drafting. Anybody could draft documents, but you're hiring mm -hmm. an advisor for their ability to design the proper plan for you. Right. What I would consider foundational documents, David, that every family should have regardless of if they feel that they're wealthy or not. Foundational documents for every family who wants peace of mind should involve powers of attorney to allow someone to step into their shoes and take care of their finances if they become disabled, mm -hmm. living wills, healthcare directives. So there's no fighting among family members as to what medical decision is appropriate for mom and dad. Um, wills, sometimes they can be simple. Sometimes they just take care of appointing guardians, proper executors, you know, or wills with revocable trust, which we do more often than not in my office, which really is a nice combination of protecting the estate and providing for a succession of, you know, the family money going down the bloodline rather than just going outright to beneficiaries who could wind up dissipating it, losing it in a divorce, et cetera. So that's your basic foundational estate planning. It's really for everyone who wants to make sure that they've taken care of their loved ones. So even if you're not wealthy, if you're a married person, you may have children or something, some of those documents are relevant anyway, even, you know, even if you don't have the tax planning aspect in front of you. Absolutely. You, you, you nailed it right on the head because estate tax planning is really the next level. That's when you worry about, am I wealthy enough to worry about Uncle Sam taking 40% of my estate? Am I worried about, you know, the business succession falling because I don't have someone to take over, you know, when I die? So everyone needs estate planning and some people need estate tax planning. And mm. the pandemic, unfortunately, brought to the forefront, you know, how important estate planning is, regardless of your what your balance sheet says. And now with the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act set to expire in a couple of years, a lot more folks are revisiting the need for estate tax planning because mm -hmm. the generous exemptions are going away. Mm -hmm. so, you know, Michael, so many of my clients are young people starting out, they're buying their <clears throat> first home either individually or with their partners. What, what estate planning things should be triggered when you buy that first home? What are the risks and what are the things that people should be thinking about? Sure, sure. So with a caveat that, you know, this conversation is really for educational purposes and not legal or tax advice, mm -hmm. there's a couple of considerations, especially when you buy your first home, which could be one of your largest assets at one point, right? Um, number one, you make sure that you have, you know, ha you have it properly titled. Uh, when a married couple buys a home and they title it as husband and wife, that's really the best way to provide the maximum level of creditor protection. Um, so that's not often available if someone is not married. It's a conversation to be had. How do we title that residence? 
Um, most of the time, a jointly titled residence, David, will pass by operation of law should one of the spouses die. So that alone is not going to impact the will, but it brings up the question, you know, what does the rest of the, what do the rest of the documents look like? What does your will look like? You know, are you making provisions for the spouse to provide enough to cover that mortgage on the house? Do you have adequate insurance? Have you worked with a financial planner who could hedge against an unforeseen death and can provide liquidity to pay off that mortgage to fund, you know, those college expenses for the kids. So it's not as much a document driven analysis. It's more of a holistic planning analysis that you know, we would engage in and advise clients how to proceed and often bring in the proper professionals to help fill that void. You know, and I, I love that conversation because um, over the years I've worked with <clears throat> partners who are um, maybe not married and they don't necessarily want their share of the property to automatically flow to their partner. They may mm -hmm. have siblings, they may have other family members who they wish to inherit their part of the property. Um, sure, sure. You know, particularly if they're non-romantic partners who are buying it together. And so that right. planning aspect becomes very important. It's really essential. You, you've touched on such an important issue because you have a couple of considerations that are so specific to that dynamic. Number one, in New Jersey, we still have what's called the inheritance tax. And believe me, the exemptions are not generous at all. We're talking $25,000 exemption from inheritance tax if you leave it to a sibling. So in your fact pattern, really consideration has to be given to how those assets will be divided, how will the survivor be impacted by having to be a joint tenant with someone else who have no, may not have a relationship with? Who pays the inheritance taxes, right? If there's an inheritance tax triggered because you left your 50% of the house to your brother or to you know niece or nephew, someone who was subject to that type of tax, how does the tax get paid? Is there enough liquidity? So that's a much, much more in-depth conversation. I represent a decent amount of people who are in that situation. I represent uh, a large number of same-sex partners uh, who have exactly this type of dynamic that they're concerned about. Um, and we just have to have the conversation to understand the goals, educate the client, and most importantly, draft the documents with that in mind. Hmm. Interesting. Now, in our earlier conversation um, offline, you were telling me about how COVID has impacted um, the people's estate plans. So mm -hmm. if I lived in Nebraska and I'm now moving to New Jersey or to Connecticut or something, how what, what difference would that make? How would that uh, impact my estate plan? So there's a couple of things you'd have to consider at that point. You know, number one, different states have different rules, different statutory requirements for those documents to be valid. Your will may be not validly executed when it comes to New Jersey rules versus Nebraska rules. You know, although there's something in the law called reciprocity, for most clients, I would not want to rely on that. The first thing I would do is after I relocated and purchased my house, I would reach out to a qualified trust and estates professional. And the importance of using a specialist cannot be emphasized enough here. You must go to a specialist for this type of stuff. I have plenty of war stories and horror stories about clients using, you know, the attorney who handled, you know, uh, driving a DWI or a real estate closing 
for their you know blended family estate planning and the nightmare that resulted. So you would go to that specialist and you would really sit down and talk about what should my powers of attorney say? They're going to be different. They're New Jersey. They're statutory. You will need new documents. Same thing for the living wills. How do my wills work? Do I come from a community property state to a regular state? Nebraska is not, but other states are, you know, Texas, Arizona, uh, community property states, California. So the whole dynamic could change. Do you have a prenuptial agreement? Do you have to take into consideration how this property will be titled? Um, so what the pandemic also did is it really opened up people's eyes to the importance of planning in general. And there's been a lot more, there's been heightened interest in doing just traditional planning to provide for your loved ones. Plus you couple that with a change in domicile and you really, <clears throat> pardon me, you really need to revisit your overall situation to make sure that you're not using documents that worked in one state that will be rejected in your new state, in your new home. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what I understand is that you may have an estate plan that worked in the whatever state you were from originally, Nebraska. Um, but if you move to another state, whatever state you move to, you just want to have at least someone review how you titled the property in your new state so that you title it to, to your maximum advantage. And then you also want to make sure that the ancillary documents, the living wills, the durable power of attorneys, et cetera, are properly executed for the state that you live in today. It's, it's, and, and that's the term I actually use is ancillary because those are the, you know, I call the wills and trusts sort of the main course and the side dishes are your ancillary documents, which are also very important. But that is correct. That's an excellent approach. When someone comes here, when they close on that home and they're looking to make sure their financial and legal life is in order, that's one of the boxes they need to check, getting a second opinion from someone qualified to say, I've looked at your documents, they work, or they need to make these changes. That's a, that's an almost to-do item on everybody's list who relocates. Mm. And the tax rules are different, right? We've had clients move here from New York, move to New Jersey. <clears throat> New Jersey no longer has a state, a state tax. We have an inheritance tax, but the estate tax has been repealed. In New York, there's an estate tax. They may have wills with complex planning that can now be simplified to a much easier structure. So there's so many variables that need to be considered. You've spoken about <clears throat> the, the tax aspect of the state planning. At what financial threshold what's the financial threshold for someone uh needing that now i understand that, that right now the we have very generous federal limits but you indicated that that may be changing yes yeah, so currently the federal estate tax exemption per person is approximately 13 million dollars rounded up you that could be mistaken for money that could be you double that when it comes to a married person. However, on December 31st, 2025, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act will expire. And the exemption is scheduled to revert to 5.6 million adjusted for inflation. So if we take a rough number for ease of simplicity, 7 million exemption per person based on current inflation levels, you have a window where you're gonna drop 
tremendously and the government is going to find many people much wealthier than they thought they were two years earlier. Hmm. So what what is a proper threshold? Obviously, if you look at your balance sheet and you work with a qualified financial planner who can do a projection of your anticipated life expectancy net worth, they typically run them out to age 90. They take into account your expenditures. They take into account your you know retirement accounts. They look at it holistically and say, look, John and Jane, at age 90, you're going to be worth X. And based on today's laws, here's what you should be doing. So really, the first step is work with someone to give you that projection if you don't feel that you're wealthy today. If today you're already worth you know, $10 million and you're relatively you know, young, 40s, 50s, you really want to start working with someone immediately. But if you don't feel wealthy today, at least work with someone to do some projections. And then when you get to the point that your projected estate is going to be going in that direction, then we want to start talking about you know, what makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, let's shift a little bit and talk about someone who's, who owns a business. <clears throat> How does that affect the, the tenor of, of, of what they need to be doing? So you may have heard this expression from t-shirts to t-shirts in three generations. And what it means to me is that, you know, grandpa started the business, the son successfully continued it. And then eventually when it went to the grandchild, it sort of fell apart. So someone who's a business owner and my practice is about 40% representing business owners from your, you know, successful plumbing company to, you know, large revenue generating companies. We look at their business succession plan essentially as a business owner's will. Because if you don't have something in place that will keep the lights on and everyone paid and the company generating that type of revenue that your, your spouse is expecting to retire on, you haven't done your job. So while the assumption is that you've done your wills, you've done your foundational planning, for business owners, we look at things like buy-sell agreements. We look at things like, you know, worst case scenario, what happens if you die? Who takes over? Is Junior qualified to take over? Does Junior have an interest to take over? If the answer is yes, and you have several children, how do you equitably divide your estate among your other children so you don't plant the seeds of a dispute when you and your wife are gone? So for business owners, it's a much more in-depth conversation, and it often dovetails from when their estate planning is complete and ties into their business succession and planning with buy-sell agreements and you know proper insurance funding and making sure that the business side is covered just like the personal side. And just to round this out, what we haven't yet discussed, and I'm sure you, you <laughs> could give us a real quick overview, is uh, trusts. You, you mentioned that sometimes you build a trust into your to the will document so that it creates a trust maybe for minor heirs or for whatever other purpose. Can you just educate us a little bit of course of course trusts are one of those uh items that folks believe only apply to the rockefellers and the jp morgans of the world but the reality is that the purpose of a trust is to protect the beneficiary from what i call creditors and predators from potential divorcing spouses and even from the beneficiary who may have a problem managing an inheritance maybe suffering from mental health or substance abuse or other things so a trust is not for the wealthy. A trust is for anyone who wants to protect the inheritance passing to a child 
and the amount that's expected to pass to them should be at least you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in your will at your death you can create a trust and i always say to clients you know it's not that you don't trust your child and it's not that you don't feel that they're capable of handling it it's because you're not super rich and you're only leaving them five hundred thousand dollars and if that gets commingled and used to support the marriage and eventually half of it is lost in a divorce what have you really accomplished? So trusts are for anyone who says, I want to make sure my child has a nest egg. I can have my child be the trustee so they can have a level of control over that money. But it's really not, you don't have to have a lot of zeros after the amount being put into that trust. And for most clients, it's set up at death. It's set up at the second death. There's an equitable division of assets you know, among children and the assets are held in trust. And then the conversation becomes, do we keep it in trust for a long period of time? Do we keep it in trust until they reach a certain age? You know, there's a whole bunch, there's different schools of thought on that. And that's what we talk to the clients. We spend a lot of time on the design and analysis before we even put mm -hmm. any, any pen to paper with the documents. Mm. Makes sense. Shifting to um, back to real estate, we're finding, you know, just today I had a call from a mutual friend of ours who who had a, who had a client in their 50s, which is a little bit young for this, but they're running mm -hmm. out of money. And we were talking about reverse mortgages. You know, we find sometimes with uh, people, you know, this works great for people in their 70s and 80s who, right, right. who may own a home free and clear. What's your, what are your thoughts about reverse mortgages? I think that they are an exceptional tool in the right circumstances to protect the senior who is real estate wealthy, but cash poor. They're healthy. They don't expect to move out and go into a nursing home. And they just need that source of liquidity to keep them in the house so they can enjoy their sunset years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working with a professional such as yourself, they can assess the situation and come up with a suitable solution is a no brainer for a family with an elderly parent with that type of profile. Um, Typically, clients don't come to me for the financial analysis on the reverse mortgages. They'll bounce the idea off of me. And I find myself to be you know, supportive once I speak with the person that's proposing it. I understand that they're doing it properly. And you know, it, it's an excellent tool for that cash poor senior citizen. I love your terminology. So I'll, let's dig deeper. When you say that they're doing it properly, in your mind, what are you looking for? If I were, if you had a client and I was going to propose a reverse mortgage for that client, what would, what would it mean to be doing it properly? Well, you know, you obviously want to work with a team that has the right moral compass. You know, I surround myself with professionals who have their clients best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. So that's what comes first. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if the advisor can provide the proper analysis, they can sit down with the family, explain the pros and cons show them the illustrations, give them some options in terms of, you know, how this can be financed. Um, you know, that type of professional who digs in the details and it provides full disclosure to the clients, you know, of all the pros and cons, that to me is someone who did their job and the client should be able to understand the benefits of moving forward with that type of person. Yeah. You know, so often when, I, when, when you have this, you, you have um, conflict in families where, um, you might have some children who are very successful and they really don't need mom and dad's money. And then you may have other siblings 
who are counting their eggs already. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, that becomes a real challenge. And I, I like the way that we, you, you put it. You know, ultimately, what we're trying to do, you and I, is put the needs of the parents as paramount so that they're protected and they can live a life of dignity. And hopefully you'll do it in a way where the other, you know, the, the interested parties, the children, et cetera, the heirs have will have some something to inherit. But the paramount concern is often the parents. That's right. And I've often said to my clients, you know, it's nice that you're planning to provide for your children and you're structuring your estate and affairs in such a way to create an inheritance. But, you know, my number one priority is to make sure that you are okay. And then they can have an inheritance. It's really not, you know, we don't want to impoverish our clients. We don't want to burn them financially so that their children can live a better life. Their time will come. Hmm. Great. Michael, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, are there any other areas that you'd like to discuss? Is there anything else you'd like to pick up on? Well, I very much appreciate the opportunity. And uh, it's nice to work with a seasoned professional such as yourself in this area. Um, I think what I would say is that, you know, anyone who you work with that is coming to New Jersey, that is looking for advice, that has some thought of, you know, I want to have my financial and legal life in order, you know, let's have a conversation about their personal situation, their estate planning. And, um, you know, let's see what we can do to help them. Fantastic. This has been a real pleasure. Um, Michael Marone is, is a expert estate planning attorney. He is uh, someone who comes highly, highly recommended. Um, we have friends in common and he's uh, a, a professional of the highest order. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the Mortgages Made Easy podcast. And thank you for taking the time to educate me and, and our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day.